0: Welcome to church on this Sunday morning. I saw the forecast, said snow from 7 p.m. last night to 7 p.m. today. And I look out and it hasn't snowed since like 6:30 or 7 this morning. So unless it started in the last five minutes, and then I look like I wasn't paying attention. Um, it's it was perfect. Perfect timing to church. Um, could I get a wired mic? Which one could I use? This one's cutting out. All right. All right, there we go. We don't want to be missing because what we're going to share today is uh, very, in my opinion, very exciting. I was thinking about how would I illustrate this. And this is a topic, today's topic is something for some of you, it will be review. For some of you, it will be new. And if it is new, this is like, it's like getting your driver's license. As you grow up, it is, it is a part, the understanding of the today's topic, which is believer's authority. Understanding believer's authority is a pivotal part of your Christian life. If you don't understand this, then you're like a person who didn't get their driver's license yet. Like, you just haven't walked in everything that God has for you. There is something big. Now, we've been, we've been working our way this, this year, I say, because we're still in January this whole month. We've been talking about prayer, and we talked about how Paul prayed. And last week, we were, we were looking at the Pauline prayers, and we were noticing that he prayed about our understanding. He wanted us to recognize what we already had, Now, I'm going to jump back to Ephesians chapter 1, 16 through 23. This is one of the verses we read before. And he was praying. He said, do not cease to give thanks for you. I do not cease to give thanks to you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge, wanted us to understand things, of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, Again, he was so focused on us realizing what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power. Paul prayed that we would understand the power, the greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty Power, again, which uh, which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. What kind of power? The same power that raised him from the dead. And seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Now, when he talked about sitting at the right hand, it wasn't like, and put him someplace. The right hand was very important. At that time, in that place, they understood that if you were at the right hand of a ruler... That meant you, too, had his authority. So he says he put him at the right hand in heavenly places, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body in the fullness of him who who fulfills everything in every way. Now, we've been talking about prayer. We talked about connecting our prayer to the will of God and the power that is in that. And I was so encouraged this Wednesday when we were at prayer. One of our, our folks who was attending the prayer meeting was speaking up and she started sharing. She says, you know, we talked about this. And so I went to the Bible and and we saw how Paul prayed. But I looked and I saw that's how Jesus prayed and that's how other people prayed. And she was going and I thought, man, I hope more people are doing that. I hope more people are taking what we Discuss on Sunday and then looking and seeing how it applies in so many other places in scripture. But there is a concept in scripture about our authority. Luke chapter 10 verse 19 says this. Behold, I give you authority. And then he says to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. When when Jesus said this, when he said I give you authority, what was he talking about? You see, we have that authority the same way that we have salvation. It has been accomplished for us, but we have to take it by faith. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6.12 that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this darkened age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. We have to recognize that we are not in a fight with our boss for a raise. We are not in a fight with our neighbors. We're not in a fight with our family. We're not in a fight with our spouse. The enemy is not people. The thing that we are battling for is not stuff. We're not fighting for stuff. We are fighting a, not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers. There's that word again, powers. Other translations say Authorities. Now this is a really big deal because what is authority? Authority is delegated power. When I have authority, and and many people have used the police officers. When a police officer stands in the middle of an intersection and puts up his hand to the traffic and the semi-trucks stop. Is it because that man has more power than that semi-truck? No. But that man has authority. As a police officer, he is more than he appears. The power and authority of the entire police force, whose authority came from the government... So, literally, it isn't a little man in a uniform against a semi-truck. It's the entire power of the entire government against a semi-truck. And that semi-truck recognizes, you know what, even if I tried to temporarily exert my power against his power, then the authority he has would then come at me with the rest of the police force pretty soon... They would come with trucks of their own, with whatever power they needed to exert their authority. And pretty soon I would be in jail. And I would regret exercising my power thinking that I had more power than he did. I didn't. He has all of the power and authority that has been delegated to him. As we think in that term, let's read Ephesians chapter six, verse ten. It says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. See, we aren't, as Christians, we're not praying, God, give me power. What we need to do is understand how to operate in his power. Finally, my brethren, breathe strong in the Lord and in the power of of whose might? His might. First John chapter four verse four says, "You are God of little children and have co- had, have overcome them because He who is greater, excuse me, He who is in you is greater than He that is in the world." We have that power. I, there are so many times that people just don't recognize. The authority. I'm, I'm thinking of a time. I was on a missions trip, and I'm trying to remember which country we were in. I feel like we might have been in in uh, in Venezuela. No, sorry, we were in Mexico City. We were in Mexico City this particular time, and I was there with a group of of teens, and we were I was helping to lead a group of teenagers on a missions trip. And during that time, one of the teenagers had a. Um, a manifestation, a demonic manifestation, and for a lot of people that was new. They had never seen somebody um, under the influence of a demonic spirit, and we prayed and cast the demon out of this young person, and there was no longer an issue. But this is the part of the story I want I want to focus on. So the other Christians who were there heard about what happened and we were staying in a in a hotel that had multiple stories and you most of us have been to a hotel before you know you got 10 stories and there's rooms on every story and we were spread out throughout the building and this girl's room where she had been prayed for and the demon had been cast out happened to be on one story i don't remember what it was but we'll just for this example we'll say it was the fifth floor a bunch of the the people who were staying on that same floor were like hey can i come stay in somebody else's room i don't want to be on the same floor And they had this fear of this spiritual situation. They, they were afraid that this demon was going to do them harm. And I remember trying to to explain to them, "Greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. You have authority over that demon. The reason the demon left them is because we exercised that authority." It's more afraid of your authority. The only power to to incite fear it has in you is the power you give it by choosing to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. It is afraid of you. Another thing, I I grew up camping. Every spring break from the age of 8 years old on forward, my friends and I would camp. And we thought... It was big stuff when we were eight years old and we camped without our parents. Now, we had ten acres and we were on our ten acres. My parents could, you know, knew exactly where we were, but, but they weren't in the tent with us. And we you know, cooked our own food over the fire and we just thought this was great stuff. And every year we would go do stuff like that. But some of the places that we camped had coyotes. Some of the places we camped had bears. But here's the thing, and some people would say, aren't you afraid? And I said, as a a kid who hunted and camped all the time, I knew, man, they are more afraid of me than than I am of them. They are nowhere to be found. Now, you had to be smart. You didn't put out food scraps when you were in bear country because... If they didn't know you were there, they might get in there. If you happened to make them feel cornered, you might get in trouble. But the truth is they're more afraid. The amount of of power they have in their jaws. And compared to mine, I look at it and I think, oh, but what those animals instinctually understand is that we as people have been given dominion over them. What is that? Power those animals are afraid of people like just they are and and i would have missed out on so many wonderful memories if i had just been afraid to ever go in the woods why because because there's coyotes out there you know there's coyotes in every single county in michigan including downtown detroit They're everywhere. But you know what? They're hiding because they're afraid. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's Matthew 28. Matthew 27 is the story of the crucifixion and the resurrection. 28 is after that. Jesus says, I have the authority. We can go into it. We remember Satan had the authority. Do you remember when when, uh, Jesus was baptized and he came up and the Holy Spirit came down on him and he went into the, the desert and he fasted and then Satan appeared to him and tried to tempt him, to test him, to tried to seduce him into worshiping him. And he said, hey, I have been given authority over all of this. So the authority at one point, Satan had it. But after his death resurrection, Jesus came and said, let's look at this again. And Jesus came and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Let that sink in for a second. That power and authority has been given to him and he then says, go therefore and make disciples. That is that is where we are operating from. Let's look again at one of Paul's prayers, Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of his glory and inheritance of in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe. What is Paul praying? He says, I want you to understand the power that you have. According to the work of his mighty power which he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead it's that same power and seated him at his right hand of heavenly places far above all principality and power or other authorities so he says you know the the authority let's go back and look at that understanding that those terms can you mean the same thing and said, and what is the exceeding greatness of his authority towards us who believe? When that, that phrasing towards us that works in us. And then he says, that's far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that, which is to come. Paul is describing That we have access to authority that comes from Christ, that is superior to any other authority, named or unnamed, in this age and even in any age to come. The same power that wanted Jesus to stay dead are the powers that you and I fight against, but they've already been defeated. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the source of our authority. When Jesus died and rose again, that is when the Bible says he reclaimed that power and authority. And then, let's look. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 7. And he said, and you he made alive who were dead. In trespass and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, with our understanding, we know he's talking about Satan, who had authority in this place. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves. We were at one time, under that dominion and authority, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in his heavenly places. What does sitting at the right hand of the father mean? It is a position of authority. It's a position of power. Not my power, but the power of whose right hand I am at. He says, hey, you were once apart and under the authority of the enemy, but now you are in a different realm. You have been made alive together. It is the resurrection of Jesus. Why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? Because it was his act of raising from the dead that accomplished the, the retaking of that dominion and authority. And he brought us... Along for that ride. And he raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Notice that the same bringing to life that was done for Jesus was done for us. Galatians chapter 2. Verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. When we realize that the same authority slash power given to Christ, is ours, we'll be revolutionized. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12 through 24. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit... We were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. We have all been made to drink into one spirit, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. This is Paul trying to encourage the church to understand something. When you are a part of the body of Christ, you are a part of the body of Christ. There is not first class, second class type A, B, C, um, preferred shares, regular stock, we are all given that authority. We may have different purposes, but we're still one body baptized into one spirit. You do not have less authority than I do. In fact, if you understand your authority better than I do, you may be walking in your authority better than I am. But it doesn't mean I have less than you. I'm just not using it. I, I, I didn't find the details because I didn't think of in time to look. But I remember hearing a story about a woman who worked for a businessman. And she, I believe she was like the housekeeper for, for a very wealthy businessman. And, and she was like, for 20 years or more, she had been the housekeeper for this, for this man. Um, when he died, he um, gave her a few items in his will, and she lost her job because he was no longer. And um, someone was doing, like a, like a few years later, Someone was doing uh, a book about this man. And so he was trying to interview people and he discovered that there was this housekeeper who had spent years in his service and so he went to interview her. And he went and met her in her extremely humble home and she had had difficulty finding good employment after that and was just scraping by. And he was sitting there with her and he asked her about this time and And she she was proud to tell him, when he died, he gave me this envelope. And in it was this pretty certificate. And she pointed and she had it framed on her wall. Well, what it turns out is it was stock in his company. And she was now wealthy, but didn't know it. And this person in his interview was able to figure out, well, what she had been given something. She treasured it, but she had no idea the value and the potential that it had to change her life. And I think some of us as Christians are kind of like that. I'm saved. I'm not going to hell. Well, good. But there is so much more that God has given us. Look at Romans five seventeen. For if by one man's offense death reigned, what is he talking about? He's talking about Adam, sin. And we've discussed this before. When I was a kid, I used to be really upset. It's like, why? Why did God let Adam represent all of us? Now, the Bible does tell us for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that means all of us eventually we're going to disobey in one way or another. So we would have blown it. But here's the thing. If we had all blown it individually, then we would have each had to redeem ourselves individually. But because God allowed the first Adam to fail on our behalf, then he could send someone to obtain victory on our behalf. Let's read this. He says, so if by one man's offense, death reigned. So basically what I'm saying is I'm not upset about that anymore. I am really glad that God let Adam represent me because that means he sent Jesus to represent me in victory. He says, so by one man's offense, death reigned. Through one much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of Christ will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. How did he just describe our life? He said that you and I will reign. When's the last time you used that word not talking about precipitation? Precipitation. Reign, R-E-I-G-N, to reign as in royalty, reigning. What is that? That is to live exercising authority and dominion. What is that authority and dominion? That is power delegated to you. The royals in the olden days, ruled and reigned with power they didn't personally have. It, they were living and, and and reigning through the dominion of the entire government, through their, their ancestors, all of this stuff. This is a description of you and I. Now, there is a ditch on either side of every road. And... One side of this is the woe is me, I'm a worm, I'm scum. And then the other side, there are people who have taken this to a level and they, they declare themselves to be gods. That's wrong. We reign with the delegated authority of God. We, we use, the power that we have is his power. Let's look again at Ephesians 6:12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of this darkness, of this of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but also against the rulers and against the powers against the world forces of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly supernatural places. We need a biblical perspective of of our enemy, of demonic power. They are fallen angels defeated by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2.15 Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. That is our enemy. Our enemy is defeated. He had authority, and he goes around trying to convince anyone and everyone he can. You realize that fear is one of those things that doesn't have to be substantiated to be real? Can you be afraid of something? There are kids who are afraid of the monster in the closet. Is there a monster? So if there's no monster, is their fear non-existent? No, they are genuinely afraid of something that does not exist. We can be afraid... Of something that does not have power. As I shared before, we can be afraid of demonic power... That has no authority over us. I, I personally love... I love... The outdoors. I love going hiking. Yesterday, my wife and I went, we strapped on snowshoes, not because there was so much snow, but because we like snowshoeing, and there was some snow. So we put snowshoes on, and we went for a hike. We hiked two and a half miles out, and then two and a half miles back, and just got back into a bunch of, I love that. Here's the thing. I know a lot of people think that the woods are a spooky place. Very scary. Those same people go downtown, hang out in the high crime areas of town, and, and aren't even worried. And I look at them like, do you want to know how many muggings have taken place in the forest this week? Like, None. But they're afraid. And, and then they go to the places, the irony is, then they go to the places that statistically do have crime. And they're like, but they're streetlights, I'm cool. You see, we can be afraid of something and it doesn't, it doesn't even have to exist to have power over us in Fear. That is the way that demonic forces have power in our lives. The actual authority and dominion has been taken from them. They are disarmed. Colossians 2.15 describes them as disarmed principalities and powers. Jesus made a public spectacle of them. They don't have the power. But many of us are like kids afraid of the monster in the dark. And we have given the enemy all kinds of credit, power, and influence he doesn't have. He doesn't have. We're cowering in fear over non-existent dominion. Uh, matthew four eight through nine says again the devil took him up this is this is when and I, I think I, I mentioned this already, so I might skip over this, but this is when Jesus went up, and that Satan did at one time have authority, but that is why Jesus came, and he transferred that authority. To us Colossians 1 12 through 13 giving thanks to the father who has qualified us to be partakers of his inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. Let's read that again. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 45 says, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last man, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. Many Christians relegate the power and authority that God obtained for us to like the millennium. Someday. But the truth is, it's now. Matthew 28. Remember, 28 is after the death and resurrection. That whole situation with Jesus and and Satan, when he said he had the power, that was right after Jesus was baptized. That is before his death and resurrection. You see the timeline? Satan had dominion before Jesus died and rose from the dead. But after Jesus died and rose from the dead, this is what he says. In verse 18, he says, And Jesus came and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore. Why would you go? Because all of the authority has been given to me. And go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. By the way, we'll be baptizing next week. Okay. We have a bunch of people who will be baptizing. I know I do. I need to say this. Many years past, we have done a single service on Baptism Sundays. Um, because of our need to maintain some space, um, we, we have been growing, if you haven't noticed. And we would not fit well if we cram everyone into one service next week. So we are going to continue with our same two services But we will be having baptism next week. So, I got sidetracked. Making disciples of the nations, baptizing, there it is, them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, do you guys remember the story of Peter? When he walked by the gate and there was a cripple there who asked him for money. Do you remember that story? And Peter responded. And he said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What did Peter have? I used to think it was like he had a miracle, like God had given him, you know, hey, you get 10 miracles. Like, I don't know how I had it in my mind, but I I, like I thought he knew he had that miracle. No, what he knew he had was authority. He said, I don't have money, but what I have is the authority that God has given me. And then he turned to him and said in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. He recognizes what was he giving? He was giving the authority in Jesus name. It's interesting that I'm running out of time. It's interesting that he didn't ask. But he declared. He wasn't demanding something of God. He was demanding that the devil. Release his power and authority. When we exercise our authority. We are not demanding. That God obey us. We are demanding. That God's will be done. And that the enemies who we are fighting against, back off of the sham that they have been presenting. This is one of my favorite points that I'm going to make, and I'm wondering if I should just save it and do an entire sermon afterwards, or I should cram it in the next four minutes. I'll I'll just I'll just give you a tiny little taste all right can you handle if i repeat myself next time so this is he didn't ask a favor he declared now there is a verse john 16 23 this is our teaser for for later it says this and in that day you will ask me nothing most assuredly i say to you whatever you ask the father in my name he will give you Anybody ever been confused by that verse? Someday you won't ask me anything, but when you ask me something, you'll get it. But I won't ask, but I will ask, but I won't ask. Someday you won't ask, and when you ask, you'll get But you just told me I won't ask. So, let me give you an example. We just had snow outside. Now, in English, we have a few words. We have the word for snow. We have slush. We have sleet. We have a few words to describe snow, but mostly we just call it snow. it might be big fluffy snow, it might be heavy wet snow, it might be snow in the air, it might be snow in the ground. but there are other places that have more vocabulary in Sweden, for example, they have like twenty five different words for snow because they live high up. it's said that some Eskimo tribes have over a hundred words for snow. the Inuit have between 40 and 50 words for snow. I'm sure I'm pronouncing this wrong, but quanic is snow falling, aputi is snow on the ground. So if I looked outside, if I was translating something from there and snow falling is quanic and snow on the ground is aputi, I would say there is no snow outside, there is snow outside. There's no snow falling outside, but there's snow on the ground outside because I'm using two words in that language that in our language don't have two words, right? When we read that scripture, it's very interesting that there are two different words being used for ask, right? Do we have that picture? All right. I'm going to go old school with you guys. This is a concordance. Strong's concordance. All right, this is talking about the word give. Now, number, word, Greek number, the Strong's Concordance gave every Greek word a number. Word number 2065 means to request a favor, but word number 154 is strictly to demand of something due. But both of those words get translated as ask in the Bible. Kind of like snow and snow. Snow falling and snow on the ground. You're asking. Let me, let me give you an example. If, you go to, if I walk up to you and I ask you for $50, what if I did that? What if I asked you for $50? I am requesting a favor because you don't owe me 50 bucks. But if I go to the bank where my money is deposited and they have thousands of my dollars and I ask them for $50... Is that ask the same as this ask? But I just asked them. One of them, I am asking a favor. The other, I am requesting what is already mine. Do you see that difference? Now, let's look at this scripture again. Do we have the other... What was the other picture? I just want to see which one was this. Yeah, so this is a list of every place that the word ask appears in scripture and you'll notice on the far side it says some of those are 265 and some of them are 154 so i have blue 154 265 is the other now let's go look let's read this scripture again understanding that there are two different types of ask being said there and in that day you will ask me no more favors you will ask me as if it was a favor no more most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask, a demand of what you know is already yours. The Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until we have asked, demanding, knowing it is ours, nothing, until now, he says, you have asked, knowing that it's yours, demanding, nothing in my name. Ask, demanding that you know it's yours, and you will receive what you re- uh And you will receive that your joy may be full. This is what Jesus said. He said, so far, let's look at this again. So far, there's a day that will come. This is what Jesus says. He says, there's a day that is coming that you will stop asking as if you have no right. You will stop praying and asking Without an understanding of authority. But in that day... You will ask... Understanding... The way that you would ask a bank teller... For the money that is rightfully yours. He said... In that day you will ask... Understanding... Demanding what is due. And when you demand what is due... It will be given to you. And then he goes back and he says... So far, you have never asked me that way. He clarifies to the disciples. He says, You have never prayed to me with an understanding of your authority yet. But the day comes when you will, and it's going to be a game changer. The end. That is our authority. When we go through life understanding the authority that God has given us, it it changes things. It changes everything. I have a long list of scriptures where those those verses are used. We're going to save that for another week. Won't be next week. Next week is baptism. Um, I'm excited. How many of you guys have heard this before? Not as many as I thought. I spoke on this two years ago when I was here. But this is an important concept. It's not something we just need to hear. This is something we need to understand and believe. You can't just Hear it once and know it. The Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. But it doesn't mean, it doesn't say from having heard. It's a continuous action of hearing. If you want to grow in the exercise of that authority, then you need to grow in your understanding of it. And you need to get in the word and fill yourself up with that. I'm excited for you guys. I'm excited for me. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for the plans and purposes that you have placed in each and every person here. I am excited to see how you will inspire each of them to further your kingdom, to take down the principalities and powers that I've been fighting against. It's not, it's not the politics. It's not the politicians. We're not fighting against any people, but against you. Excuse me, with you, against demonic forces, Lord. We just pray your blessing on everyone here. In Jesus' name. If you're here and you know that your sins are forgiven and you're right with God, I want to ask you to raise your hand. If you don't know, the Bible says you can. Some people say, well, don't I just wait until I die and then I'll find out if my good works outweighed my bad works? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you can know you have salvation. It says in Romans 10, 9, and 10, if you believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross and confess with your mouth that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. What are you saved from? Your sin that separated you. How are you saved? By the act jesus committed of retaking that authority so if you want to identify with him if you want to as the bible described it to be conveyed or switched over from the dominion of darkness to the dominion of light if you want that it's as simple as professing that faith and praying a prayer that was just described in that verse and we'll do it together with your eyes closed I want to invite anybody here or watching. Raise your hand if you want to pray that prayer with me and we'll do it. Let's pray all together in case there's someone watching or listening with us today. Say this, dear God, I believe you died on the cross and rose from the dead to forgive my sins. I accept that forgiveness. And I make you the Lord of my life. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen.